Section 12 of Early Rome by Wilhelm Ina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7. Character of the Monarchy. The chief magistrate of this age, the king, Rex, was really the high priest of the nation. He was elected for life, not for a term of years or an uncertain period. The man once chosen for the service of the gods was consecrated forever, and this principle was applied to the priests even after the establishment of the Republic, when the office of the civil magistrates was held for a definite period. The king was, after his election, formally inaugurated. That is, the gods were consulted by the augurs, whether they approved of him as their servant. This ceremony of inauguration was afterwards preserved only for the pontiffs and other priests. The consuls did not require it. But probably it was not really by popular election that the king was appointed. We know that the priests, even of the republican period, were not elected by the suffrages of the people, but were nominated by other priests. We may therefore infer that when the hierarchical principle was in full force, that is, in the regal period, the kings were nominated by the between kings, interreges, that is, by those senators who, according to a prescribed form, were selected from among the senators for the purpose of appointing a successor. The king, we are informed, did not judge in his own person, but nominated judges, duum viri per duelionis and quaestores perichidii, to try offenders. It is quite consistent with the sacred character of a priest-king that he should not in person exercise criminal jurisdiction. It is more difficult to decide the question whether the priest-king ever took the command of the army in war. According to the traditional story, Numa Pompilius, who is the type of a sacerdotal king, enjoyed a perpetual peace. Perhaps the first compilers of the tales of the kings intended thereby to express the idea that it did not agree with the sacred character of the king to take the field. But if the sacerdotal king was disqualified from military command, it follows that in case of war he had to find a substitute. The question now arises whether there is any trace of magistrates who might have served as commanders of the army in the earliest period of Roman history. In historical times, we often hear of the appointment of dictators in times of extraordinary dangers. We are told that they were anciently called masters of the people, magistri populi, and we also hear of the office of chief praetor, praetor maximus, which appears to have been identical with that of master of the people. The custom of appointing masters of the people or chief praetors certainly preceded the establishment of the republic. It is not unlikely, therefore, that they were the officers who, in the time of the sacerdotal kings, took the command of the army. The dictators were not elected by popular suffrage like the other republican magistrates. They were nominated by one of the consuls, and after nomination they had to assemble the people to obtain their promise of obedience. This process of appointment appears to date from pre-republican times, and we may perhaps venture to say that a similar process was adopted on the appointment of the ancient masters of the people, that the sacerdotal king nominated them when occasion required, and that they obtained the formal sanction of the people by a resolution which pledged the people to acknowledge their authority. If this was the constitutional process in the regal period, we can easily imagine 
how it came to pass that the old sacerdotal king was superseded by a military monarch. We need only suppose that a magister populi, favoured by circumstances, refused to lay down the power lodged in his hands. The temporary chief of the army would thus become a ruler for life, and the constitution of the state would be changed. But in all probability, the revolution resulted not in a violent abolition of all existing institutions. It was in some respects a development and consolidation of certain pre-existing elements, and it was a decided progress. It strengthened the internal unity of the state, abolished the remnants of the old federal system, toned down the undue prominence of the religious element and the predominance of the priests, and brought out the national strength by organizing a new popular assembly and a new army. It destroyed the exclusive privilege of a ruling class of noble houses, and thus laid the foundations upon which, with very few changes, the republic could be established. By the side of the old sacerdotal king there was evidently no room for another chief of the national religion. There could have been no high pontiff at the time when a priest-king like Numa presided over the religious institutions of the people. This inference is borne out by the legendary account. Numa is related to have appointed a pontifex of the name of Numa Martius. This Numa Martius is evidently no other person than Numa Pompilius himself, for the addition of the second name is in this case, as in many others, nothing but a feeble attempt of the analysts to make two persons out of one. Moreover, the identity of pontifex and king in the old time is sufficiently proved by the fact that the ancient palace of the king, the Regia, was at the same time the official dwelling of the pontifex Maximus. This identity of king and pontiff could only last as long as the king was essentially a priest, and the head of the national religion. When a military chief usurped the supreme power, the old sacerdotal king must have been stripped of his political authority. It was most probably by this revolution that the pontifical duties were separated from the political and transferred to a purely sacerdotal officer, the pontifex. The military king could no more take upon himself the exercise of all the purely sacerdotal functions than, in an earlier period, the priest-king could have commanded the army. A new arrangement was made. The priests were made dependent on the magistrates, and religion became the handmaid of politics. Thus it was that the primeval policy of Rome, which was essentially religious or sacerdotal, passed over into a military monarchy. When, at a later stage, the monarchy was overthrown, the old institutions were not re-established, but the republican magistrates stepped into the place of the military kings, and religion lost more and more the influence which it had once possessed. The title and office of priest-king, Rex Sacrorum, was indeed preserved, for religious scruples forbade their formal abolition, but this king of the sacrifices was debarred from all political influence. He was not allowed to hold any civil office, and even in his own peculiar department he was made subordinate to the chief pontiff. End of section 12